Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about the numbers aspect of positioning. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> so this is inspired by an email. I guess a little bit of a breadcrumbs here. I, I got an email from David C. Baker. I'm on his mailing list and he was talking about his new book. And there were, he was making a point about positioning and so forth. And there was, he linked some old articles and one of which I had not read. And it was called how many competitors and prospects should you have? And the sort of premise is that, you know, people generally want to, I almost, I almost want to say not target any market. They just get everyone or businesses <laughs> or we help millions people. and millions and millions. Right. And so there's this sort of tacit assumption that more prospects is better. So why would you narrow your focus and, you know, focused on a subset of the whole universe? And, you know, we've probably talked about that to death on this show uh, and in others about how, you know, positioning is like magic. If you get it right, then your marketing activities finally start working for once. It's like a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so what what I found uh, fascinating or interesting about this particular article that I hadn't seen before was that um, in research for his book, The Business of Expertise, he did extensive research for a few years, three years about, you know, where we interviewed uh, successful creative agencies in the professional services sector to come up with a range that seems ideal for companies that are kind of owning their position or owning their niche. And his numbers were roughly speaking, the appropriate number of competitors is 10 to 200 and Wait, appro- give a moment for everyone to gasp. 10 to okay. 200 competitors. <laughs> so yeah, you don't want none for reasons we'll go into. Right. Uh, and you don't want 20,000 or 200,000 because it means you're just not differentiated enough. You're in- too interchangeable. And then the appropriate number of prospects is 2,000 to 10,000, which again, pause for choking. Exactly. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, this is based on research, not I'm sure it's not worldwide global research, but, you know, I think he said something like firms in the United States that are about the size that he would normally work with, you know, so probably firms on the smaller end. But regardless, the creative firms, creative firms that have, you know, maybe maybe 50 employees, probably not 200, but and probably a lot fewer than 50. I think probably. Yeah, probably 20, you know, right. But these these numbers sort of tracked for me too. So I, you know, just gut instinct that feels about right to me, honestly, to to put yeah. some numbers against it. It it does, and for soloists, because you know, my first reaction was, hmm, is there any difference between you know, like a creative agency and a consulting firm? No, not for this. Is there any real difference between a firm and a soloist? Not really. I mean, you could maybe argue a soloist needs to be even more tightly differentiated, but it's not going to change the numbers by like a factor of 20%. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, it's the metaphor that I like to, I'm always trying to figure out a good way to say this, but um, there's that sort of metaphor, the reaction that you get when you suggest that someone niches down is that they feel like, "Why why would I fish with a single hook when I could, you know, cast a wide net? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the market's not the net; it's the water. So if you are if you're targeting a large market, 
you're in the ocean with a single hook. And if you're targeting a smaller market, you're in, you know, you're sitting next to a barrel of fish with a small hook. You have a small hook either way. You don't get a net. That's, that's what Apple yeah. has. That's what Nike yeah. has. So you're not casting a, a wide net when you're targeting nobody, when you're targeting everybody. You are, you know, you're, you're paddling around in the ocean with a little fish hook trying to catch, you know, sure, there's more than three trillion fish in the ocean, but good luck finding them. What a sad little vision that would be, <laughs> paddling around the ocean in a little yeah, tiny little rowboat with a single hook and no worms on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So would you rather yeah. be in the ocean with that hook or would you rather be standing next to a barrel of trout? You know, uh, give me the trout every day. Yeah. But one of the things I just found so interesting, though, is the the potential clients. So if, 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 if his, let's just assume for purposes of argument that his numbers are reasonable, that it's 2,000 to 10,000. Mm-hmm. What that might do is make one feel much more confident if you have a smaller email list. Like maybe you don't need to have 100,000 people on an email list. Oh, yeah. Um, in, yeah, in order to have a viable business. Oh, yeah. Not even close. I feel like when you, when I think of like monster email lists, they're total mass market. Yeah. You know, people like James Clear or Tim Ferriss, you know, have over a million people on their mailing list. But Ramit Sethi, probably. Yeah, but they're talking about subjects that are that are like almost almost like grocery store checkout line type of things, like the stuff you'd see on 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 a magazine at checkout. You know, get more done, have a better sex life, get washboard abs. You know, all of that stuff <laughs> that maybe you could reasonably say yeah everybody wants washboard abs or you know something like that you know it's like pretty pretty broadly applicable everybody wants to have a better sex life or or what romantic partners all of that stuff is fairly base level human stuff but that's not what we're doing right like we're not doing stuff for the mass market we're doing boutique niche very very specific things so it's so it's interesting to go through the exercise of thinking like, well, how many customers or clients do I actually need, right? So if you only needed like 10 per year to buy, you know, like uh, some reasonable level offering from you, maybe not the highest, maybe not the lowest, but just an average offering from you, an average deal size, and you only needed 10, you know, that's, what's that, 1% of a 1,000? So mm-hmm. if, you, if you could find a market that... And that's about the direct sales number, you know, 1% to 2% is typically... Mm-hmm what you're right. going to sell. Right. So even a thousand in theory would be enough for you. To, if you just captured 1% of the market would be enough to sustain you for that first year. But if you had, you know, if there are 2000 or 10,000 in the, in the market and you could capture 1% or even less than 1%, that would be more clients than you could service in a year. And right. And, you, and of course, then there's this snowball effect where some of them will probably come back or refer you in the next year. So Mm-hmm. You know, potentially gets easier to to close new deals in the following year, and then if you stay focused in your same area, potentially this can just continue, uh, and you can innovate in other places like pricing, product, intellectual property, stuff like that. Well, well, plus, there's so many people that I work with that would never need ten clients in a year because they're doing big projects and they kind of roll. So you have, you know, if a, if a typical project is twelve to eighteen months, and you can do three at a time, you know, you're always onboarding one and offboarding another and Mm -hmm. so you can have either a smaller group or a bigger group and you can just be hyper selective about who you work with because there's only one you right yeah 
And, and so imagine if you had uh, maybe, let's say just a 10,000 person market, let's say there are 10,000 companies that are your ideal prospect, or they look like your ideal prospect from the outside, it would be so much easier to kind of penetrate that market and create at least the beginning of what we talked about, I think on the last show, of creating awareness that you even exist. Mm-hmm. It would be so easy. You'd be like, there's probably like two or three people you would need to meet that could get your name in front of every single one of those people <laughs> where maybe it's someone who heads a trade association or a, uh, a they organize a conference or some kind of event series. We have your 10 to 200 competitors. I mean, those some of those people are probably running a podcast or they're running a, a um, some kind of an, uh, like an association or mm-hmm. they're running a, um, a speaking opportunity. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. It's huge. Right. And it becomes, it just makes it so much, you know, I, I don't love the fish metaphor because it's, because you're actually helping the fish. It doesn't tra- track to the metaphor. Uh, I guess we were releasing them, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it becomes <laughs> like much more fishing. like, yeah, catch and release. <laughs> Which is even less exact though. <laughs> but that's, the, but it just becomes so easy compared to boiling the ocean, like pick your metaphor. It's like, how are you going to, mm-hmm. how are you going to, how would you know? What con- for, let's just say a uh, conference to speak at. How would you know what conference to speak at for, for some f- at all? Like, how would you pick a conference to go speak at if you didn't, if you didn't, if you're just like, oh, we target everyone or no one or businesses, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, okay, we, we work with small to medium businesses. Okay. That's like 50 million. <laughs> like, five, yeah. like, what is that? I know. Like, five just, million it's, at least. It's so meaningless. Yeah. That you don't you don't know what to do, right? So as soon as somebody, if I'm working with someone, I can kind of I, I've been doing it long enough that I can kind of feel when they're in the territory, and they'll say, well, well, you know, like I was talking to someone just yesterday, as a matter of fact, who had the most comically diverse list of clients that you can possibly imagine. I mean, it was I wish I had recorded it. It was it was hilarious, you know, and and she knew it was a problem, but it was like nonprofit animal shelters and family offices and <laughs> and we're going to go we've just got a, a booth at a at a uh, a trade show for dentists and you know if you're listening i i i've loved the dentist thing please go after the dentist but you can feel you can feel that um, you know when she said we've got a trade show at a dental convention i was like very excited you know, because I was like, oh, that's that's probably still too big. But yeah, but probably... that's a way to meet all the periodontists if you niche down. Exactly. Or I don't know, dentists in Georgia. I don't know. Right. Um, right. What, what the, yeah, I don't generally like geographic niching, but right. Yeah. But you can feel the, the difference between those and it feels like a lack of focus. And so the beauty is and I don't know this person, but the beauty is that when she finds that spot it will feel like magic it's like oh all the stuff i learned over here i can just take what's applicable to let's say dentists and Mm -hmm. focus on that and now i don't have to write about 20 different things i don't have to have you know 10 different products and services i can just focus on you know whatever this particular group of dentists is most interested in yeah, and the, and the language they use to describe their problems and what the kinds of solutions that they're looking for, you can really, you get better and better at uncovering the value that you're delivering, which leads you to 
be more accurate or uh, more profitable with your pricing and also to create new products and services that don't exist that your competitors aren't even offering that are hyper specialized to that particular niche. It like helps you come up with better, more valuable ideas. And then, you know, as you were just saying, once you go deep into a niche, then you can think like, all right, we're, we're crushing it here. We're getting tons of leads. We're saying no to 50% of the people who want to work with us. And we're just picking the cream of the crop. Uh, most profitable, most ideal, most stress-free clients. And if you want to broaden out once you've gone deep and go to a, another vertical, like something adjacent to that, something where there's a lot of overlap, great, do it. Like I'm not, I don't think you need to be like laser focused forever. Uh, to, you know, you probably could be with a uh, a market of periodontists, but if you did want to, you know, grow overall revenue and create your more impact across, you know, multiple industries, then fine. It, it's like, you can totally do that. But I, I like that direction of like, so, sort of, you don't start a giant fire first. You start a tiny fire first and it grows and grows and grows and you do different things at different stages. But starting with just a tiny little bit of kindling is it's, that's how you start a fire. So anyway, that, I, I think there's yeah. a strong... And when you look at, at people in the, those generalist markets like Ferris and James Clear, they all started with something very specific. And it grew from that because they hit a chord. And they're both more B2C than B2B. But right. it's, you know, some of the some of the parallels are very similar to how B2B services grow. Mm -hmm. So you've always got that opportunity to grow, but you've got to get small first and that's why I like Baker's idea so much because it actually wraps some numbers around it. I, I think it's it's easier to get your head around this idea of having ten to the two hundred number blows my mind, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about the two hundred. But um, anyway, ten I think feels like like a good starting point on the low end, so that mm. you know there's some there's some desire some pent-up desire to buy this stuff is if you've got 10 competitors somebody's making money right yeah if they've been around for sure and so so what are what are some approaches you would take to like measure the number of prospects in your addressable market well you know it's, it's a really interesting question because i've tried to do that for myself many times mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's one of the things that kept making me niche further down and further down and further down um, but let's just take an example. Um, so let's say you wanted to serve independent consultants. If you go to, in the U.S., if you go to um, some of the government reporting, it will tell you, and I forget the number now, but it was over 10 million, and it might have been 25 million um, people who were classified as independent consultants. Now, that also included Uber drivers, by the way. <laughs> um, so it was a broad group. Um, but so you can try to look at government statistics um, I've worked with someone who was in the not-for-profit world and they were able to go to a website and download, I think it's called a Form 990 that nonprofits use, and they were able to pull a relevant statistic and they were pretty tech savvy so they could slice and dice it in ways that they wanted and they actually determined who was doing what in a particular 
niche. So there's a lot of ways. They're not always perfect. They're never perfect. Let's put it that way. They're never perfect. But I think there's a lot of ways you can go out and and see in data, existing data. And it's comforting for a lot of people to be Mm. able to look at data. Um, But it's challenging when you focus down to to find publicly available data. Um, So I've experimented with um, posts in LinkedIn. I've experimented with posts in Twitter before it got to where it is now. (laughs) And, um, And asking people questions to try and find out who's in this market, how big is it, Um, are there um, trade associations that serve this market, and is there a subset of people in this this niche within those trade markets? I mean, those are some of the sort of obvious analytically styled approaches, Right. Um, but there's a lot that are a lot simpler. Like Mm. you look and see who's in your LinkedIn group that has a particular title or works for a particular company or is a particular size. Um, Yeah, that's a good point, actually, which which is something Philip Morgan says. It's like, where do you have an unfair advantage? Like, where are you already connected with a bunch of people that could be your target market? You know, like where you just you just like you're already one of them or you're already friends with them or they already trust you. that's a, an interesting starting point when you're trying to decide. You're like, well, we've worked with, you know, 15 different kinds of clients and we more or less like them all the same. Uh, which one should we pick? And to me, it's like, well, the one that you have the most access to, the one that you have the, the, the most addressable one for you. So if there were like, you know, in those 15, if there were some that like never spend any time online, you know, like uh, maybe he, people that run asphalt companies you know they're always driving around but you can get them on their phone they'll pick up the phone like any hour of the day Mm -hmm. because that's how they run their whole business is off their cell phone so you know maybe i wouldn't pick maybe i wouldn't pick someone who just really wasn't online that much just to make it easy for me or maybe i would say like i don't need to uh i don't even need that i can just use my phone because i know i know 30 people that are in that you know are in the restaurant space and through them, I'm, I'm going to reach, you know, 10 people each or five people each. And all of a sudden you're at like a thousand or 2000 people. And it's like, huh, I could, you know, I could set up phone calls with these people, whatever. The, the point is, it's shocking how many people there are. Like it is shocking how many people <laughs> there are. And in, uh, I think it was in, I forget which workshop it is. And I think it's in TPS where I did a... I just went to the the Chamber of Commerce website for Las Vegas. There's lots of conferences in Las Vegas. It's perhaps one of the biggest cities for conferences. And you you can go and look at the list of of what's coming up and they have attendee counts. And you just can't believe, you know, something you see a title like, I don't know, left-handed firefighters from over the age of 50, you know, it's like some kind of get together. And you're like, there's got to maybe only be five and there's like 5,000 people show up. <laughs> yeah. Vegas is a great site for that. Yeah. And you just can't yeah. believe how many people are sort of self-select as identifying, you know, obviously I'm making up the left-handed firefighters thing, but it's, it's, it's that seemingly um, specific where 
I mean, it's just, it's incredible. So if you're like, and that's a great, a great test. If you're trying to, if you're having a hard time being like, ah, well, I don't know. I have no idea how many people would be in this market. A, A great hack is to like find a conference that's been around, not just a brand new conference, but a conference that's been around for a few years and find out what the attendee numbers were, at least roughly. And and you, in my experience, what happens is you, you find what you're like, oh, uh, I don't know, electronics manufacturers. And you're like, oh, 150,000 people went to CES. Maybe I should, maybe a little smaller than that, you know, like embedded systems or something or like robotics mm-hmm. or a drone conference. I guarantee you there's a drone conference that like 10,000 people go to. So just like way more people than you'd expect. So I don't know. I think, I think that's part of the psychology that, that makes people reluctant to explore the idea of focusing on a barrel instead of the ocean is that they're like, oh, there won't be enough. There's, there's surely only, I don't know, 10 or there's just not enough fish in, in, in any barrel to keep us busy. And it's like, well, maybe you should look around first because I'll bet you there are a lot more in there than you thought. Well, busy and interested that because that's the other thing I hear, especially from people who are super smart, really good at what they do. And they're like, I would be bored if all I did was serve periodontists all day long. And so, you know, you have to be excited by the, the, the depths you're going to go to when you decide to niche. And, you know, one of the things you said is, oh, if somebody says, well, gee, I like my clients, I like them all the same. Mm-hmm. Nobody has ever said that to me. everybody will say if I just say you know with somebody who's been doing it for a while so who do you like to work with oh well let me tell you about Joe or Sarah or whoever or this kind of firm those are the people if I could fill my pipeline with just people like that I would be thrilled Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know they're already niching or at least it looks like they're niching to the outside but they just haven't matched their message with the kinds of people that they want to work with you know go deeper on that Yeah, well, so let's take an example. Well, I can think of an example of somebody I worked with who had this website and and they were in um, PR. And the website was basically for the broken tortured. Like that's what it was written for. It's like, oh, you're trying to grow your business and you just can't make stuff happen. And like that was the language. Mm -hmm. And so then guess what? (laughs) When they would do proposals with those people, they go, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Oh, you know, it was kind of, it was more of the same. And I said, well, this is easy. It's just the language you're using doesn't reflect what you do and who you are. It's just because you're so good at this, you can lift these people up, but they don't really want to be lifted. I said, who do you really like to work with? Well, I have this one client over here and they're in integrated health, which is way more interesting to me than this other stuff. I said, well, let's just try focusing on integrated health and having a positive message about what can happen. Hmm. Literally in 30 days, she had four new opportunities. Nice. So, yeah. And I mean, that's maybe an exaggerated example, but sometimes, you know, it's you just have to speak to your people. So in that case, you know, we did niche it down to integrated health, but it was also the tone of the message matching the tone of the people that you want to get. Do you want the broken tortured? Use that kind of language. Well, some people do. I mean, you know, some people really want that audience because they can really help them and have transformations. This person did not want that audience. Mm. Yeah, one of the one of the things that we st- perhaps started to uncover on my phone call yesterday was that th- this person I was talking to, she had or her company, she had like some like seventeen or twenty employees, and and 
she was telling me all these stories about her clients and they were again i mean it's just like a comically diverse list but one thing that started to appear in these stories was that she was working directly with owners and they were extraordinarily eccentric hmm. either either very rough around the edges or well mostly rough around the edges very direct and probably the kind of people that a lot of people don't have the patience to be around. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But she loves them. She loves that type. Like real mm -hmm. characters. And I was yeah. like, that could be, you know, we were sort of running out of time. But I was like, that could be, I mean, that's a psychographic, you know, yeah. where it's sort of behaviorally oriented. But, you know, and I, I don't know if you'll find a conference for people that, <laughs> <laughs> but there might be, there might be pastimes or uh, something. There might be something that those people have in common, some way to reach those folks. Although, honestly, I think that would that would be um a fairly uh, i'm trying to i don't want to say the word easy but but that feels like one that would travel very well by word of mouth i was gonna say referrals yeah um and i had exactly that when i had my company with a business partner and employees because my business partner attracted those people not necessarily eccentric but crusty <laughs> oh my god like every time we would get a referral that he wasn't involved in and i would go out it would be this crusty old guy every <laughs> single time and i'm like oh really like i didn't i didn't really enjoy working with him but they all wanted to work with me it was really weird, and but it was because of him. They knew him, and he dealt really well with that demo with Krusty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we we're like, okay, it's another one of so and so's referrals. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I should be talking about the crab bucket instead of the fish bucket. But okay. Yeah, yeah, but Krusty but I crab. love that the fact that she loves dealing with that kind of person. I, I mean, ideally, in in. In their client avatars, you have some of that, you know, assuming it's shared across the firm. Right. That's another that that was an outstanding question. I'd, I'd be yeah. per, perhaps surprised if all of her employees and 1099s and so forth felt the same way. But you never know. I mean, she might uh, yeah. might be attracting employees that are that are aligned emotionally that same way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think. I, I just it's I know it sounds like a paradox and we talk about it all the time I talk about it in my email and on ditching early too it's just I just heard the story so many times where people finally they finally niche down to an appropriate level not too far you know not too blurry not overly small not too small and and they just instantly feel that they start feeling traction right away they, they mm -hmm. feel the difference yep. they finally they're like oh i sat down to write my uh, write a blog post or i sat down to send out some invites to come on my podcast and i knew exactly what to say they finally know exactly what to say because they know who they're talking to if you don't know who you're talking to it's really hard to to choose the right words you have to be really blurry and sort of vague yeah there's something just really freeing it's like, it's like you, you find your voice. I think that's what it is. And I don't just mean, you know, speaking, um, but it's speaking and writing. And there is a confidence that comes with that, that people immediately get and they gravitate, the right people gravitate to that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The people you want. Right. It's like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like dating. Like when you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, like all of a sudden everybody else wants you, like where you couldn't get a date before. It's sort of like that. <laughs> there is something, there is something about the, um, the willingness 
and the and the projection the projection of the willingness so it's not just the saying of it but like having boundaries and sticking to them saying no being selective there's something attractive about that it's almost like it creates it almost creates like a fomo kind of reaction in the client yeah. where where the t- it's like it, if you once you start to feel this like and you go into a sales meeting and the and the other you're like, oh, you know, this, this, I got this lead. They're, they're outside of the target market that we're focused on right now, but I'm going to take the call anyway. If it seems good, we'll, maybe we'll take it. I'll consider it. We used to work with somebody like this and you go into the meeting and you, and you're not convinced, you know, all of a sudden, instead of you being in the meeting and being like pitching and, you know, trying to sort of humble brag about how great your team is or (laughs) how smart you are and all that stuff. And then just sort of, you know, leaning back with their arms crossed, uh, you feel this shift. Like they lean forward and they're like, hey, well, how come this person's not pitching me? How come this person's asking me questions? How come I'm not asking them? I feel like they're interviewing me. It's like, yeah, they are, right? Because all of a sudden you're projecting this this vibe that you might not be interested. And, you know, it's like convince me that I should take your money. Yes. And it just completely changes the power dynamic. Uh, it, 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 you know, and I, well, I hesitate to say it like that. It's not like to me, it's not a zero sum game. It's not combat. You know, it's but, like, but it is. There's a there's a flow mm-hmm. that happens. Think of it as a flow of power, maybe, or a flow of it just puts you on equal footing for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's it a relationship. Feel, you know, yeah. no matter how you look at it, it's it's a relationship. But the other thing that happens when you feel that confidence is in the is in the pricing piece of this because if you have a core service and your strategy is I'm going to keep increasing the price of that core service because I'm achieving transformative outcomes that are worth, you know, a multiple of this number, that confidence translates into, oh, you don't think that's worth 300000 Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. move on because you don't want to do it for 200 anymore. You want to do it for three. Yeah. That would be, you know, an example. And it totally changes how you act in those kinds of conversations and what you'll say yes and no to. Mm-hmm. Right. Doesn't happen overnight, but you can feel it start to happen. And, and yeah. in some cases, it does happen very quickly. Yeah, it is it is a process. And it's... um. It, what I find so interesting when I'm working one-to-one with people is that um, a year later, let's say, they'll say, oh, well, you know, like in that situation, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want 300000 That's just like, that's a waste of my time. And I'm laughing because like a year ago, they would have killed for a $300,000 assignment. But that's right. progress, right? That's what we want is that you keep moving up the food chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having more opportunities, more choices, more good opportunities and good choices. You know, you're choosing between a bunch of good things. Yeah. You're moving from that sort of survival mode to the to thriving and getting like, oh, now I can kind of like, now I need to think about things like opportunity cost because I could work with these three different people or these three different clients in three different ways. And it's like, which one? And I can only do one. It's like, which is the one that would be best for both of us and mm-hmm. across a spectrum of things not just profit but also like from a stress standpoint from a risk standpoint all of those things are like geez like spoiled for choice body of work i mean Mm. we make Mm -hmm. decisions based on that is this a good addition to my body of work yeah actually that's you just triggered a uh, recent recently someone approached me about 
very unique situation. I don't currently offer anything that would be appropriate for them. And normally I would just be like, huh, you know, okay, so there's probably someone else's better fit. But there was some there was some things about it that I was like, oh, this would be a good area to explore. And I'd price it and I, I gave them some prices that were kind of like a custom project. I haven't done that in a long time. And I was like, yeah, this would be this would be interesting. And he was like, he was kind of like, what's in it for you? And I was like, it would be unique enough. It's something that I know there's demand for because I've said no to similar things in the past. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, if this, if this works out, then you'll give me a great testimonial and I'll create a workshop and teach other people how to do it instead of me doing it every time. So it it was, it's more of a, not a learning on their dime kind of thing, but more like, um, more like proof. So like getting, getting that first testimonial that like this framework, you know, a particular framework of of Mm -hmm. thinking and a, step-by-step process at least worked for this one company but I know lots of other companies that are like this one and I don't want to do this all the time but it would be a good way to take theory put it into practice and you know work it out with them in a way that's profitable for both of us and then also get the the kind of intellectual property of it just the concepts of the the sort of marketing and sales of the, the this particular kind of engagement and teach it to other sort of small firm owners. I haven't done a lot with small firms, a little bit, but not a lot. Well, that's also a savvy client. Somebody who says, asks the question, so what's in this for you Mm -hmm. is savvy because they want to make sure that there's going to be a mutually beneficial outcome. Right. Right. He didn't, he's probably listening. He didn't put it like that, but (laughs) but he did ask the question. It was like, like, I want to make sure our incentives are aligned, I think is what he said. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense because you do. I mean, if if any of us are out buying a service we're, from individuals, we're going to be asking that question. So how does this, I mean, hopefully we pick them based on that we think there's alignment, but I, I think it's a, it's a savvy, savvy consulting services buyer. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Is there anything else we should add before we wrap up? No, I'm still the the hesitation in my voice is I'm still dumbfounded by 200 competitors, but yeah. <laughs> I still have to wrap my my head around that. That feels like overly large, but um, yeah, I don't know that I have anything to add. Yeah, I, I agree that's a little bit. If for soloists, that feels high. I think for creative firms, it might not be so high because you, you're gonna have so many other. If you're a design agency, there's like you, know, you can't swing a cat without hitting one. Yeah, yeah exactly. So so like. And oh, this is an interesting point. On that point, as we wrap, I believe in the article, he starts off by saying that your competitors are not who you think your competitors are. Your competitors are who your clients are considering, like instead of you. Yes. Oh, oh, (laughs) yes. I was just thinking about a time that somebody told me that, you know, we had a conversation and they told me that they picked someone else. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> even do the same thing. We're like not even in the same universe. But right. they they saw us as competitors, and that's what matters is how they see it. Yeah, right. Sometimes I use the word alternatives instead of competitors because someone could do something. You know, they might go. You know, like oh, I'm looking for a business coach, and they're going to pick people who label themselves as business coach. But they could come at it from a, from a problem standpoint, and like I don't know how to grow past this plateau. One solution might be hiring a sales team. Another solution might be hiring an SEO 
person, another solution, you know, mm. completely different yeah. solutions. Yeah. So it's like, how could I spend this money to solve this problem? It, it might be, you know, what are the alternatives that someone would consider? But I think it's, I think in, in David Sebaker's article, it's clearly like the, it's more of the first, like how many design agencies or digital transformation agencies or business coaches or life coaches are there out there? And, and hopefully, you know, I, I do think it's probably 200 is, would make me a little bit nervous, but it's not, I, I could still deal with that. I think if I was working with someone. It would probably be. Yeah, I guess it, you know, it depends. Like globally, right? 200, that's not, it's not crazy. Yeah. Well, and if you said like business coach, you know, that would be like 2 million probably. <laughs> right. um, so yeah. So it's, yeah, it's how you slice and dice your particular expertise. Yeah. But yeah, no, I just, I couldn't end without sort of ruminating on that 200 <laughs> a little bit, but I couldn't resist. Cool. Well, all right. That's it. Out. <laughs> I didn't you know what the problem is I didn't say beat a dead horse that's okay yes, so now it's a okay. and I was swinging cats we have to stop abusing animals on the show killing the trout all that yeah all right folks that's it for this week I'm Jonathan Stark and I'm Rochelle Moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye 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 <laughs> <laughs>